Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. What's going on, Internet? Eric Banholtz here, back again with another e-commerce conversations. Hope all is going well on the other side of the Internet. I've got a, another friend, another guest, another all-star, another amazing person, uh, someone far smarter, more handsome, and talented than I am, John Shanahan of Strix. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I take umbrage with that because I wish I could grow that beard. So we'll have to agree, disagree. Well, you know, I think you can grow a pretty good beard. You just uh, haven't done it yet, right? It's very curly. It sticks to my face. Unlike it doesn't really come out. Yeah, that's great, man. A lot of people wish they had that problem. I've got videos on how to de-poof up your beard. So just you should be grateful. Naturally, your beard does what so many people want. I need more beard brand in my life. That's I got. I'm looking at your Tree Ranger sea salt spray on my desk right now. Oh, yeah. Well, just start spraying. One of my favorite products. There you go. Well, this is not an info show about Beard Brand. Everyone knows about Beard Brand. No one wants to hear about Beard Brand. Let's, let's hear about Strix. What is that, man? That's, it's like a made-up word. Well, Strix is a species of owl that there are mythical associations with wisdom and love. And part of the owl concept is that these are products that a lot of guys are going to use when they go out at night, like night owls. And so... That's a little bit of the name behind it, but really we just like to make products that are discrete everyday use cases. And we are blending uh, the intersection of skincare and cosmetics. So we're really one of the first companies to make products from the ground up that are cosmetics for men. So our first two products is a concealer and a tinted moisturizer. And they're all around this premise that if you build products from the ground up for guys uh, in the cosmetic space, that every guy can benefit from having, you know, any use cases touched up, whether it be pimples or under eye bags, razor burn. It's like women have a ton of options to cover up a pimple and guys are expected to live with it. And that's what we're out to change. Well, that's pretty cool. I know you told me about the owl before, but I totally forgot. It is the way you spell Strix the same way the owl is? Strix, the brand is with a Y and Strix, the owl is with an I. Okay. So that's S-T-R-Y-X, right? Correct. Strix.com. There you go. I think it's pretty dope. So you guys have some like really dope packaging. It's really clean. You guys started off direct to consumer, right? Directly on your website? Yeah. I mean, everything, especially in the first year was completely DOC. Thank you, Shopify. Amazing platform for that. And then uh, at the end of 2019, we did an in-store test for a retailer. And then we just are in the midst of a, a national rollout. But still, I mean, we're I consider us digital first. I mean, we're D2C native, and that's where the best experience is. Subscriptions, full product line is always going to be on the site, just like any other brand. But, you know, using retail partners, as Beard Brand does, to really, you know, have a discovery channel for new customers outside of the web. What I'm curious about, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this, just so our listeners know, John and I, we probably go back how many years? Two or three, four years? Three years, yeah, at least for Menfluential. Okay, three years. We met through Menfluential. John is a uh, fellow content creator first, right? So started, was it a blog or YouTube? Where did you start? 
I do not like writing and I'm not good at it. And so I was YouTube first and now, and then I've slowly kind of backed into having a blog to really support the YouTube channel. But yeah, I was, I was always YouTube first. Yeah. So I've been on your podcast with Brock, right? Brock McGough. Yeah. Yeah, Brock, Brock the button up podcast. Yeah. So you're a fellow podcast host. If you're into style, yeah, go ahead and plug that real quick. Yeah, so the Button Up Podcast, we talk to entrepreneurs that are building fashion and retail companies uh, right now. And so a lot of D2C brands have come on and then also other content creators. So we talked to you and really captured your story because I've just always loved connecting with people that are just building things. And I know that's a shared uh, passion we have and the groups that we're at on Twitter and everything. And so I had reached out cold to Brock several years ago when I started my channel and I was like, hey, I want to do a podcast. Do you want to do it? Let's do it for a year. And now it's, we're coming up on like our fourth year of doing that podcast, which is kind of crazy. But it was always to really connect with other people creating in the menswear style space to, you know, another thing on the YouTube channel. So you were doing the Cavalier just by yourself, right? You had no other partners with that? Correct. That was me. And then I had, you know, some help around editing and things, you know, team members. But yeah, that was that was all me. And what was the vision for the Cavalier? Was it always to be content first and then earn money through revenue and uh, sponsorships and ad revenue? Or did you ever have a bigger vision for it? Yeah, I started because I would model myself after the consumer reports or the wire cutter where you could just do really good independent information and then build a business off of affiliates so that you're aligned with the brand, right? It's like you want to give the best information, you build trust, you only recommend products you enjoy and you really believe in. And that builds trust with the audience. And so I always knew as a long-term play, there was a time, this would have been 2015, 2016, when everybody was doing subscription boxes where I was like, oh, I'll like do a Cavalier subscription box and I'll curate, you know, the brands that I like and the products and I'll work with the brands. I never really pursued that, which I'm glad because I think that was a definitely a moment in time where you could get those aggregate boxes together and, and ship them out. And I think the customers fatigued off of that. But actually, a lot of my reviews were for some of those boxes in the initial days. And then I found myself fatiguing off of it. I could tell my my audience wasn't as interested. And so then it was really focused on other DSC brands. Like I was one of the first videos to talk about Bonobos on YouTube or Everlane or Frankenoak Allbirds. Like I was very interested in the brands that were coming out that were offering nicer quality product for not very high prices, which became D2C. And so I got to study these brands from a business standpoint too, because I was working in retail and software predictive analytics for major retailers. And I was like, this is a really interesting space. And I thought that I could cover the whole space by myself. I just had no idea how much that space would explode between, you know, 2014 to 2017. Yeah. It's probably been fun to watch from the sidelines. What I've always been curious about is how did you get plugged in with the Sturks guys, right? Because this was not your idea, right? Correct. So I had known the team behind uh, Strix because we were both covering similar companies. And I actually found out later that, you know, DeVere, who's doing a lot of the writing would often be one of the first customers for brands that I had covered on my channel. If it was like an early brand or a, a new product, uh, he would be one of the first customers. And then he would review the, the product as well, because he was building a community around guys that cared about their appearance and their style, which would eventually become, you know, Strix customers. And so we had connected there. And then when they launched, I was the first video for it because I had known him and I was interested. And what really was a big change for me was I had the product here and I like just had it off to the side. And then I went to tour the Allen Edmonds factory. I got invited by the CEO and the head of marketing to spend a day at the factory, interview all their executives and put together this video. It's like an hour long video on my channel. And the morning that I woke up to go to this 
tour and shoot video all day, I had a huge pimple on my chin and I was like, what the hell? And I had the Strix like pen with me because I just packed it before I left for the trip. And uh, that always stuck with me is that the whole day I wasn't worried about what was on my face because I had covered it and the video looks great. Like you can't tell that I was wearing it. And so that was the first time that it like really set in with me that this is an interesting product that it seems like the right time. It's like I have a little bit of, you know, I'm a self-aware as as far as how I carry myself. I have a, a little bit of worry around, you know, am I using products that are good or bad for my body? And it's like, the product just really worked for me. And then later in the summer, they're like, you know, we're really interested to find somebody that's really good at, you know, content and community and branding. Like, do you know anybody? And I was like, this, uh, maybe this is the thing. Cause I had talked to other brands in the past. None of them really clicked, especially from a team standpoint, the way that, that Strix did. And so I joined as a full-time co-founder a little bit late in the company. And then from there, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, it has been a wild ride. It's been fun <laughs> watching you uh, kind of take on these projects. What, what is your current role within the company? Because I, I know in the early stages, you're, you're pretty much touching everything, but where's most of your time spent? Yeah, we're a small team, so it's still still touching everything. I mean, as it's, it's a little bit different if I would have come in just as a head of marketing versus being a co-founder. And so, you know, as head of marketing, it was really about like the YouTube strategy, a huge part of what we need to get over as a category is the stigma around these products and the education component. It's like, these are completely new products to guys. I mean, just the way that, you know, beard oil was kind of a new thing, you know, years ago or you know, building these products around beards. It's like, there's a huge education component. And so it's a lot about tutorials, how to integrate these products into your skincare routine, how to take care of your skin generally. And so YouTube was a big portion of that. And then just being in a co-founder role too, it's like raising money and investor relations and that sort of thing, handling those. And then with the retail rollout, it's like I took on some responsibilities with that as well as we kind of planned. Because ultimately, I mean, the channels and retail are a function of marketing. And so make sure that the, uh, the whole brand is aligned there. And then PR as well. I mean, we had a really nice receptivity around the CVS rollout. And so managing the PR aspect too. But Ultimately, it's like I make a fool out of myself on TikTok. I am always in front of the camera for YouTube and making sure that there's like a really approachable, accessible face of the brand. Yeah, I think if you guys listening, head over to Strix.com. It's a very beautiful website with amazing photography. Did you do that in-house or did you work with a firm for that or what was the vision for that? We had a firm for the initial site, and our thought is that if you just show how beautifully designed these products are, because they were designed by Prime Studio, who did Harry's Razors and Gobi Toothbrush, like they've done some amazing work. Our thought was if you just present these the way that Apple products are, where it's beautiful product, great design, industrial design, then guys will buy them. And that happened at first, but that's not how you sustain a company. And so we actually have a whole new site that's going to be going live in a few weeks here that we did work with an agency. We're using it. It's a lot of a brand refresh fresh as well. And so bringing a lot more guys into the photos, a lot more lifestyle photos to really show how the products work is going to be big. The sleek design of the site now was really built around this premise that, you know, beauty will sell these products, but you know, guys want results. And so that's, you know, our our entire new funnel is around showing guys how these work. Yeah. Like you said earlier, there's that education component that's going to be so big. What I always found interesting is clearly the number one problem of building like a men's essentially cosmetics company is in my mind, the whole like, Oh, I'm a real man. Real men don't need concealers. Real men don't need moisturizers. You know, real men don't care about their skin. We battle that at Beard Brain as well. But what you mentioned to me, I thought was really interesting that I never thought about was the whole, you know, quote unquote, woke crowd who's like against concealer. 
right? Who are against using tools to help you look your best. Has that been a, a big challenge for you guys? Yeah, it's a fine line to walk. I would say it's not as much the woke crowd that has a problem with concealer. It's the very woke crowd that will say that products don't need to be gendered. Like that's very much their specific feedback. But then on the flip side of that, you have what would be considered the red America. And they say that real men or like if you look in our Twitter mentions, it's like they'll say, you know, real men don't wear makeup they're a big Trump supporter. And then you say, well, what about the president? Like the president wears something on his face every single day. You can see it in all his photos. It's like, does that make him less of a man? And the answer is no. That's something that I think has just happened in the past century where it's like makeup was literally made for men. Like historically men wore makeup. And then Bo Brummel is the guy credited with modern style is the one that seems to have nixed that for men. And slowly over time, it's like we've heard from so many of our customers that they've used their wife's or their girlfriend's or their partner's concealer before. And this is the first product that made them like comfortable to use it. And so there's a stigma associated with it. But if you look at Europe and Asia, in Asia, it's almost uncommon for a man to not have a cosmetic or a skincare grooming routine, which is kind of the opposite of the way it is in the States. And in Europe too, it's the same way. It's, it's much more common and much more commonplace. And it's a part of the discussion in a way that it is not in the US. And that's our premise is that the way that you bridge that gap is to have products specifically formulated. Because until now, if a guy wanted some concealer, he had to go to the women's aisle. He had to get products that were typically packaged pink or very effeminate and not all guys are comfortable with carrying that. And so that was our premises, ground up, formulated, packaged, designed, and marketed to men, most importantly. Yeah, I guess I'm not in tune with the woke crowd and and what they're really upset with, but it it makes sense. Uh, I think it's really not fair to be bashing you guys because not only is there not like uh, men's products out there, but there's generally not unisex stuff either. Like it's very clearly marketed and targeted towards uh, women's products. Like you go to their website and it's all women, you know, in the photographs, even if the packaging is, you know, kind of gender neutral or, or unisex or whatever it may be. So I think there's a huge opportunity and talk about the opportunity. Like you, you mentioned that you're raising money. Is the goal to uh, eventually IPO or is the goal to build its profitability? Are you guys profitable? Is that something you're comfortable talking about or, or what is the future for Strix? Yeah, I think what is talked about now in the D2C community is the D2C 3.0. And so it's like, what are the learnings of D2C and the brands that grew in 2010 to 2014 when there was a lot of capital raised, a lot of arbitrage and marketing and direct channels? And then where did that get them? And, and it got some, I mean, there's billion dollar brands now that were built off of those things. But now in an era where Facebook is increasingly expensive and there's there's all these different considerations as you're building a brand it's like we don't see that path as being viable anymore and so we're building a strong business with good unit economics the reason for the raise is that we have such an opportunity in front of us we have a lead in this category we have products that are differentiated that are new but our growth ultimately is hindered because our products last a very long time and so the faster we can expand the product line the better and the, the way that we do that is we just get a little bit more capital in the door and then let the unit economics work out build there. But I mean, first and foremost, it's about building great products, but then also like there is a very strong community aspect that is building now, because if you're the first entry into a guy's life, I mean, like I know you see this with beer brand as well, but like if you're the first brand that speaks to somebody in a category and the product is good, 
they're going to stay with you forever. And it's like, that's, that's something that we take extremely seriously is like, if a guy is trying us for the first time and it's his first time using this product, or he had used another product and it's the first one that really feels like speaks to him. We have a great opportunity to like continue to listen to him and what does he want? And so like our whole product roadmap now is just built out to be catering to the guys that are telling us like, I love this product. I wish I had this from you as well. And always making sure you know, our strict spin on it is, is it a skincare product that brings in cosmetics so that guys can have some sort of instant results and also be taking care of their skin. Are you guys looking to go deeper on your variants as well? Like you have three skin tones, I would imagine, for instance, on your concealer and stuff like that. Are, are you guys looking to go deeper that, or is you want to stick with three for, you know, kind of like the ease of decision and, and go from there? Yeah, it's a fine line. Like if you look at uh, like Fenty Beauty, they have about 40 shades. Uh, We have three. I think the answer is somewhere in between, Uh, especially at first out of the gate. We wanted to make sure we had the formulation is done in a way that is very adaptable. So even the guys that are like between two of our shades now, the more you use, the darker, the lighter. And part of that, too, is just a capital requirement because all of our stuff is custom tooled, custom formulated and the minimum order quantities just prohibited us from rolling out with too many SKUs. And so, yeah, we, we definitely want to expand that as we go. That's one of the big pieces of feedback we get from our customers. And so it's definitely on the horizon. Yeah. We've had the battle here at Beard Brand. It's like less is more. You may find that adding more shades does not help your sales because people just get confused. You know, it's like, do I need shade one or shade two? And I can't decide and I'll decide another day. Whereas when you have three that are very clearly different, shades, it makes it really easy for someone to pick the one that they feel is the closest and kind of go from there. So it'll be interesting to maybe follow up with you and hear about how that goes as you guys roll out more colors. Yeah. And when you speak to most women, because there's shades in women's cosmetics and there's undertones. And so it, it almost it duplicates the complexity of the decision. And so even like when I talk to my wife, I'm like, oh, what, what shade and undertone are you? She's like, well, I'm this and this brand, it's different across the board. And so like for a guy to come in cold to this category, it's like, you got to make it as easy as possible while still being effective. And we, we've seen it play out in our return rates. I mean, our return rate is less than 1% because of a shade issue. And so like, we feel really good about where we're at right now. Yeah. And I would imagine product wise, nailing that color has got to be a challenging thing from batch to batch. Have you guys had any issues with that? We have such a strong manufacturing partner. I mean, they're one of the top suppliers to Estee Lauder. And so like their QC is extremely rigid. You know, we're lucky there that we picked the right partner to do that because that has not been an issue so far. But and and actually they're they're waiting for us to do way more volume too. And so they're able to scale with us as we grow. Yeah. Let's talk about how you're bringing awareness. You said PR has worked well for you. Are, Are you working with a firm for that or are you all doing that strictly in house? No. So PR was in-house and it was easy to get attention because we're doing something out of the ordinary. Like when Bloomberg covered us, uh, we did an exclusive with Bloomberg, which was, you know, CVS is rolling out a men's cosmetic brand in 2000 stores nationwide. The first men's cosmetics brand to go nationwide. It's like that can get attention. And so when we did the PR, we'd like to talk to consumer outlets as well. But you know, we definitely found our business story because then Bloomberg picked it up and it was Wall Street Journal and Washington Post. Like we actually led like the Sunday business times a few weeks ago at the Washington Post. And so now I think the challenge is going to be like, that was a great story. We rolled out into a national retailer, but now it is, how do we continue to lead this category in a way that, you know, we saw a competitor, somewhat of a competitor get coverage in Hypebeast. And in the article, they mentioned that Strix rolled out in 2000 stores nationwide. It's like, we have the opportunity to be the Kleenex almost of this category. It's like, if you talk about men's cosmetics or men's, you know, skincare, 
we're, are going to be leading that conversation. And so now it's about keeping that momentum. And as far as awareness, it's like, you know, we do Facebook and Instagram and, and Snapchat is actually picked up for us as well. And so, you know, we do those usual channels, but then also just making sure that customers are coming back and they're finding what they need from us as we develop new products to keep the customers we've already brought in happy and returning. Now you say you're doing these channels. Is it purely organic or are you guys doing paid as well? No, I mean, paid is a big part of the strategy, but it's also smart paid. Like when we were talking about D2C 3.0, it's like if we're bringing in a customer, we don't want to count on lifetime value paying off down the road. It's like we want to bring these people in in a very smart way. And so it's a very measured way to approach paid. Have you guys been able to get pretty good traction and scale up the spend or have you been hitting plateaus through the journey? Our plateaus have been around our average order. It's like we only have two products, well, three products. As of June, we added our third product to the line. You know, the sooner that we can expand out the product line, I think that's what can help from everything, you know, we understand about the space. Once we have a better AOV, then that's what can help us really scale. I'd say a big unlock, and we talk about this with others too, is like we are now selling makeup to men who buy for men. Men who buy for themselves is a smaller part of the market than women who make the decisions for men. And so we haven't even pivoted any of our messaging to women to buy for the guy in their life. And I think that's going to be a big one once we're able to to get there. Yeah, we kind of struggle with the same thing. A majority of our customers are men and it's a much harder convincing process to convince a guy to use products for himself in the grooming space, self-care space. Then, I don't know, I would imagine like guys have a little looser wallets to buy guns or knives or... <laughs> <laughs> phones or sunglasses or wallets or whatever, but I thought you were going to say fashion. Cause actually I worked with a few retailers, like very big apparel companies and 70% of their men's apparel sold was to women. It's, it's not just me like taking a shot in the dark, like are women going to buy from men? It's like, you see this in apparel as well. Guys want something easy and usually the wife or the girlfriend will take care of it. And so I'm sure for you, gifting is probably a huge one. It's like the women are sick of the guys using their shampoo or condition in the shower. So they but they would buy them something specific to themselves. It's like, that's that's a huge opportunity. And in the same way before, it's like guys have used these products from their wives or girlfriend. And it's like, if a woman would find something that is easy for their significant other to use, then that's the purchase. So that that's part of my thesis coming up here very soon that we, we want to lean into. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting strategy. It's not one that we've really executed on too well. We've had maybe a little bit of a success. And our audience, like on YouTube or whatever, is like, 99% guys and the buyers are like 60% guys. So clearly there's some kind of a transition uh, where the women find us and they don't engage in the content. So I think that will be interesting for you guys to see if a guy is willing to try the products, you know, really because if a woman or, or their partner is new to the brand, then they have to convince their partner, their husband, their their boyfriend to try it. That may be a harder sale than if the guy's like, oh yeah, I need something for this. And then they come back with a product for them. So it's almost like trying to find that timing moment for people, which I would imagine is a, well, any kind of marketing is challenging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As we know. But, well, that's a fun project. Are you guys looking to bring on any new channels? You, you're really talking about TikTok. You're like the only guy I know who uses TikTok, but you love it, man. You swear by it. I'm the only guy. Oh, you're hanging out with old folk then. Now, TikTok is a very young demographic. No, so I did a talk at the Men's Lunch Conference about TikTok, and this was back in February. And I had lunch with a friend back in November. The way that he explained it, I'll never forget. He said, the power of TikTok is not in this like audience follow thing. It's the fact that you can edit videos and create super compelling videos within the phone app. The power is not that it's a social network. The power is that it's an editor that can spread your videos. And I was like, 
that's really interesting. So I came home from that lunch. I posted a video where I was like fixing razor burn on my neck. I didn't even know how the app worked. Like the video is half done. It's still up there, but it got 300,000 views the first time I posted anything. And I was like, whoa, there's something interesting here. And so then over the next few months, I just like experimented with the different sounds that are on the platform. And like from a top of funnel awareness platform, there's no better thing than TikTok. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. This might go up after the supposed ban is coming. It's like, it's so powerful that it's taken the White House by storm here to get it banned. But you know, just from a brand awareness standpoint and community engagement, like I've never seen a level of audience engagement like this, except for very few YouTube channels. And so the ability to get out in front of people, if you have the right content is unparalleled on TikTok. And it's been proven time and time again by how many people are now coming to prominence in the app. Like part of why I love it so much is I was really big on Vine. I was like, I don't know, I had like 30,000 followers when they shut it down. I loved Vine. And when it went away, I was kind of sad. And so this is like Vine reincarnated in a new era. And when I talk about the feedback that we get from the audience, it comes from Instagram. We see that on our on like our ads and, and our organic content, but there's so much engagement on TikTok. I'll have to send you, I don't think I sent you, I did a scavenger hunt on TikTok and I said, hey, if, you know, if you're near one of the CVSs, we're trying to see if we're in their store, send us a picture. And we got 350 customer emails because we had 300,000 views within a few days. Like the platform is insane. If you can harness it correctly, then I think there's a lot of power there. Yeah, and that's pretty wild. You're a Vine user, you enjoy it. And this is something that we've talked about or I've talked about a lot is like find the things that you love because it's going to be more enjoyable to do. And you're going to be able to kind of like grind through the ups and downs because I'm sure there's times where you post and you get no engagement, right? Where something just hits a dud or it's a flop, right? That's the way that I now feel about YouTube. Like I know you started the Beer Brand Alliance channel a year ago, and I think I underestimated how humbling it would be to start from zero on a YouTube channel the way that, you know, I had five years of the Cavalier channel and I hit 100,000 subscribers a while ago and like all this stuff. But to start from basically zero, like there's a little bit of audience crossover for what I have now has been way more humbling than I anticipated. And that's what I've been like now kind of falling back in love with the process of creating videos and figuring out what the audience wants. And part of it is just building an audience uh, in general. Are you full-time working towards Strix or are you still uh, doing the Cavalier or is that kind of on the back burner? Yeah, that's that. My plan with that was to bring it back to like one video a week and, and continue the audience. And I have a certain format of video that I really like on that side that takes a little more time. And so to drop that down to one video a week and then just really lean into Strix because yeah, there's a lot more opportunity on that side and a lot more to be done, frankly. Yeah, I'm so excited about the growth that you guys have and the distribution that you're getting. How is it managing both direct-to-consumer channels as well as the wholesale channels you talked about, getting in CVS and, what is it, 10,000 stores or something like that? That's a pretty big deal for a small company. Well, yeah, CVS has 10,000 in total. The program we're in is going to be in 2,000 stores. It's like 2,000 of their, I think they consider them the premium shops. We got very lucky, what do they say, you create your own luck. Our third-party logistics provider has worked with other D2C brands that ship to CVS. And so there is a little bit of knowledge sharing there. And so from a D2C side, like operationally excellent, like we ship really fast, everything's taken care of on that side. We're building the website to really optimize that. But then on the wholesale side, it's like we have our shipping partner set up there so that we can fulfill those orders. I've had to learn a lot about fulfilling orders for a national retailer on that side of things. And then, you know, just from there, you know, talking about you know, the retail distribution, everything, it's like, we can see very clearly that the reason we went into this channel was to help normalize these products because we're right next to razors and deodorant. It's like, if this is a product that can sit alongside those shelves, that's huge. And so the more 
you know, mass and drug that we can really work with. That's going to be the best way to normalize these products for, for most guys. Yeah. So you've got one 3PL then they handle both consumer and wholesale orders. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think at one point we had like three or four different fulfillment partners who we were dealing with to handle different things. So we also consolidated down to one partner, which streamlines things a lot. If people want to learn more about what you're doing or the projects, where is the best way to get in touch with you to find you? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I check that every day. That's like the most direct line. I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, I mostly lurk and like your tweets and sometimes I'll post about you, but otherwise Twitter's good. And then Strix.com, you'll see our tutorials. You'll see my face all over the place and LinkedIn, Twitter, and Strix.com. And that's John, J-O-N, Shanahan, not John with an H. Yeah. Don't put an H or, or like Eric said at the beginning of this year, you're dead to me. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you guys learned something new. I hope you enjoyed John. I certainly did. He's a good friend of mine. Go ahead, check out Strix.com. Go buy some products. You know, you never know when uh, you'll have a blemish pop up and you need to look your best. Strix, thanks for listening. Cheers. Keep on growing. <laughs>